Chapter Twelve of Curly Carson Listens In by Roy J. Snell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Twelve, Out to Sea in a Cockle Shell. Darkness was falling when, at last, Curly and Joe reached the station at Landonsport. In spite of the fact that they had no supper and were weary from travel, Curly insisted on going at once to the hangar where the stormy petrol. Alfred Brightwood's seaplane was kept. Yes, said the keeper of the hangar. They hopped off six hours ago. Seemed to be preparing for something of a journey. They filled the tanks with gas and loaded her cabin full of things to eat. Some sort of picnic, I reckon. Strange part of it was, he said reflectively. I watched them as they went, and sure as I'm standing here, they shot out to sea straight as an arrow and far as you could see em they was going right on couldn't be trying to cross the atlantic but you can never tell what'll get into that brightwood boy's head he's daring he is just some picnic though i reckon some picnic all right said curly emphatically some picnic for all of us eh what the keeper turned on him quickly curly did not answer vincent ardmore went with him i suppose curly said after a moment's silence of course just them two was the plane equipped with wireless yes they spent two days tending to that seemed to be mighty particular about it yes of course they would eh what the man turned sharply about curly was silent again it's funny about them wireless rigs for a plane said the keeper at last. You get your ground by hanging a wire seventy-five or a hundred feet down from the plane. Then you get ground just the same as if the wire was dragging through the sea. Don't matter whether you're up a hundred miles or five thousand. Strange stuff, this radio. Yes, said Curly. It is. By the way, he exclaimed suddenly, do you know about this new Packard Prentice equipment? Yes, sir was trying one out only yesterday fine thing reliable absolutely know where i can get one over at doherty's sea goods store on the dock he's got one or two for sale thanks he and joe started away the next place is dock number three the kittiwake the ardmore yacht is tied up over there unless i miss my guess we'll be off to sea in less than two hours said Curly to Joe. Speed's the word now. Those two young dreamers have gotten away by plane. We've got to stand by in the kittiwake or they'll never be seen again. I don't propose to allow the sea to rob me of my first important offender against the laws of the air. By the way, said Joe, where's Gladys Ardmore? I haven't seen her since we left New York. I don't know and I'm glad I don't said curly she let fall a remark in the dining car that i didn't like she said she thought she'd go along with us on this trip a five hundred mile trip straight out to sea in a fifty-foot pleasure yacht with a fifteen-foot beam is no sort of trip for a girl i was afraid she'd try to insist that would have caused a scene for unless i miss my guess she's the determined sort like her father. It's queer she gave up so quickly. 
Yes, but I'm glad she did. Suddenly Curly started. As they rounded a corner, he caught sight of a trim, slender figure. This girl had been standing in the light of a shop window. Now she dodged inside. Huh, he grunted. Thought that looked like her. But of course it couldn't be. Some ship captain's daughter, probably. They arrived on board the Kittywake just as the captain, a red-faced old British salt, and the engineer, a silent man who was fully as slim and wiry of build as Curly himself, were finishing lunch. Pardon me, said Curly, but did you get Mr. Ardmore's wire? You're this wireless man, Curly Carson, asked the captain. Yes. His message is here. Came this morning. Then you're ready to put off at once? At once? The captain stared his amazement. Here it is night. At once, he says. It's very necessary that we go at once, said Curly firmly. And I believe you have your orders. To be at your service in every particular. All right, then. We must be on our way in an hour. What course? The skipper rose to his feet. This is the point we must reach with all speed, said Curly, drawing the photograph of the mysterious old map from his pocket and pointing to the star near the center. Compare that with your own chart, locate it as well as you can, and then mark out your own course. The skipper stared at him as though he thought Curly crazy. That? Why, that? Turning quickly, he disappeared up the hatch to return presently with a chart. This he placed upon the table beside the photograph. After five minutes of close study, he turned an astonished face upon the boy. That, as I've thought, is five hundred miles out to sea. Five hundred miles in a cockle shell. Man, you're daft. All right, said Curly. The trip's got to be made. I thought you might be afraid to undertake it. That's why I wanted to know at once. I'll go out and hunt another skipper. There are surely plenty of them idle these dull times. Afraid, did he say? Me? Afraid? The skipper was purple with rage. Afraid, he says. He says it, a bloomin' Yankee kid. And me as had ships sunk under me twice by the bloody German submarines. Me, Captain Jarvis, afraid. He turned suddenly upon Curly. Go get your togs and shake a leg, or the bloomin' kittywake will be off without you on board. That's the talk, smiled Curly. Never fear, we'll be here. He turned to Joe. You go ashore and buy us each a suit of roughing it things, a sou'wester and the like. We'll need em. I'll be back in less than an hour. When Curly returned from his mission ashore, he carried but one bundle. That resembled a fence post in size and shape. It was carefully wrapped and sealed in sticky black tar cloth. Going to throw a message overboard in case we get lost, I suppose, laughed Joe. Something like that, Curly laughed back. Nevertheless, he carried the thing with great care to his stateroom and deposited it beneath his berth in the cabin forward on the main deck. An hour later, the two boys were standing on deck, watching the shore lights fade. Each was busy with his own thoughts, and wondering, no doubt, in his own way, how much of adventure this trip held for him. End of chapter 12